0: Well, hello and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. If you enjoyed our opening music called Claring Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya adore, you can pick that up and download it at any of your uh, favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, I'm Lori LeBay, the founder, and my mom had dementia for 30 years. And I decided that we need to get connected to one another and hear the real story from real people all around the world at all levels. And so the show is really about sound information, not just sound bites. And our goal is truly to raise all voices, big and small, those that are diagnosed, family members, um, professionals that serve them, researchers, advocates, and so much more. And today is a live show, and you can call in and join the conversation If you'd like, at 323 870 4602. That's 323 870 4602. And I also have to thank our listeners each and every time because they are so sweet and so wonderful and so powerful with all of your likes, your clicks, and your shares. It's just amazing how many people know about Alzheimer's Speaks thanks to you. So, again, Really, really appreciate your efforts, and I hope that you will share the show that we have for you today, because um, once again, it's going to be a, a powerful conversation with a woman who is sharing her story of having a parent with dementia, and that whole love and loss and and processing of things. Now, before I introduce her, though, I do want to give a shout out to a couple of uh, organizations. One is Live to be Healthy. They do a lot with um, health and nutrition and exercise. Uh, You can just go to live and then the number two, the letter B, and then healthy.com for more information. And then, of course, the Memory Cafe directory, who um, I just adore. We've got like 900 Memory Cafes down in the U.S. Um, There's also a list of virtual cafes that people can access, and you can uh, go to MemoryCafeDirectory.com for more information there. And then I, was, uh, I just had on the show Coral Health uh, Dave, uh, one of the, the co-founders, and during this time of COVID, they are giving away um, their services for Music First and Choral Health. It's an app that you can download and get music uh, playlists and programs and and then a, a variety of religious uh, venues and information as well, um, which is which is great uh, on there. So go to um, Choral uh, and that's C O R O health.com, um, dot com or you can go to just look up Music First or Choral Health as well. Uh, to get that information. Uh, last, I just want to mention we're going to be doing another um, sing along, sing alone with Barbara Lee Friedman on May 28th, and everyone is welcome to join that. You can find more information by just following AlzheimerSpeaks. Com, and we just put out. Um, a new dementia quick tips, which talks about shadowing. And that is where someone is just like right behind you all the time. And it's a common, um, it's a common thing that happens with dementia. And I did a short little video. It's only a couple of minutes long, but will help you kind of shift from anger and frustration and just wanting your privacy to really truly feeling that, wow, what an honor it is for me to <clears throat> help somebody feel so comfortable. So let's go ahead and get started um, with the show. Let me introduce you to our wonderful guest today. We have Marissa uh, Plesha with us, and she's a cosmetic uh, chemist currently living in St. Paul, Minnesota, after being born and raised in California. She has um, a four graduate degrees, and she's passionate about science, education, and communication. But her tie to dementia is like many of us. Marissa has been inspired to, to um, kind of write and talk uh, about her personal journey with Alzheimer's disease over the past decade. And that is because her, her father had dementia. And so she is really all about giving hope to those that care for Uh, somebody with a form of dementia, especially young adults and and kids. So welcome, Marissa. How are you doing today? Good.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Well, I am doing fantastic. I mentioned briefly that, you know, you had a parent with dementia. If you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience um, when you found out and how you noticed and just give us a little bit of background before we dive into things, that would be really helpful.
1: Yeah, so um, like you said, I was born and raised in South Pasadena, California, um, and I'm actually an only child. So growing up, it was just me, my mom, and my dad, very close-knit family, a huge external family. We're Italians so and lots of cousins and aunts, but it was just the three of us um, in a house. Um, and I was also very fortunate um, to have um, a bit of older parents. Um, my dad had me when he was Uh, about 47 years old, and my mom was about 36, 37. And so I was also very fortunate to kind of have both parents in the household um, because my dad retired uh, when I was about eight years old. So I really had my dad with me at all times. Um, And then really what happened was when I was about 18 years old, you know, we started noticing my dad was uh, not exactly picking up on things as well as he usually did. Um, And the difficult part was that my dad always kind of was a little aloof, I guess, (laughs) if that's like something to say about him. Um, He definitely had some learning disabilities growing up and, you know, in his his adult uh, life. So we always kind of noticed he had a little bit of aloofness to him. Um, but when I was about 18 years old, my mom started realizing that it was getting a little worse, Um, and he did own an apartment business in Los Angeles, and she noticed that he was having, like, a really difficult time with math, um, especially, and pretty easy math, math that he was doing, you know, for years and years, and nothing was really changing. Um, And so when I was 19 years old, uh, my mom made the decision to um, take him to the doctor and get him tested for Alzheimer's. And I was in college at this point, um, about six hours away from home. And so when I was 19 years old, my dad was diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's disease. And um, really that he was diagnosed um, at 19 and he passed away when I was 29 years old, um, which was a little over a year ago now. So basically, he had Alzheimer's for 10 years, for a decade, and pretty much my entire 20s, being diagnosed when I was still really a teenager and then passing away uh, before my 30th birthday.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, my mom lived with it for 30 years, but, you know, for me, I was in my late 20s when it started. And, um, you know, I think it'd be a little more grounded basically at that time, and not that you aren't, but. Or weren't at that time, but you know, you're just kind of figuring out. I would imagine who you are and what you want to (laughs) be, what direction you want (laughs) to go. Exactly um,
1: that, yeah.
0: And it's it's interesting when you mentioned, you know, he was having trouble with math. That's a really common common red flag for a lot of people. They lose that ability to um, to do math. Other people have difficulty with reading, but a lot of those executive functioning. Um, things or pain bills those types of things can be uh, very very um, aloof because it's something that you usually don't monitor in somebody else and so it usually has to get pretty pronounced a lot of times before it's before it's noticeable how how did your mom deal with it when you know it was really kind of the three of you and then now all of a sudden you're six hours away and she's dealing with this yeah
1: so I mean I think first and foremost it was probably, you know, very difficult anyway for me to be in college and, you know, experiencing my own life. And then with the addition of, you know, my dad being diagnosed, so I was um, basically a sophomore in college. It was like he got diagnosed the spring of my sophomore year. Um, Mm. And so I think it's always really interesting. And I've talked to my mom a little bit about this before because my mother was a stay at home mom. Um, and so she really was the caregiver for me, obviously, for 18 years, and then really just kind of transitioned into being a caregiver for my dad. Um, and so I think that was that's something that is definitely a part of a, her identity, and that's something, you know, when he did pass away, I think she's still learning how to, you know, hope and also just uh, have a new role in her life um, as an independent woman. <laughs> but um, I think, too, what was always really clear to me um, and was expressed to me by my mother um, is that she realized that, you know, I was 19 years old, like you said, and I was finding myself. I needed to go out there and find myself, and I needed to develop my own life and create my own life. So what I was very, very fortunate um, for is that my mother made it very clear that, you know, my dad had Alzheimer's, right? He was really going to start seeing him, you know, (laughs) over the years, or we didn't know really what was going to happen, but she wanted me to have my own life, and she wanted me to have as normal life as possible with me being able to do what I want, Um, and so she really focused on like the idea that dad loves you. You know, you, he loves you. Everything's fine with that. You go live your own life and I'll take care of him um, to the best of my ability. So I'm very, very fortunate that I had that support system in my, in my mother during this time. Well,
0: that's great. That's great. And, and how did your mom, I mean, did she have a support system to help lift her or was it just kind of your dad and her?
1: Well, I think um, with always, like, I am from, like, a tight-knit community um, in Los Angeles. Um, So definitely there was lots of friends around us and everything. But what was interesting and something like a challenge that I look back on um, over the past decade is that when my dad was diagnosed, we actually kept it pretty secret for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't really – tell people um and honestly it was interesting because his Alzheimer's you know everybody has a different journey with it and everybody has a different way they react to it so my dad wasn't the very typical you know like he would forget things or whatever like that it was very functional like Mm -hmm. you know like you're saying with the math or you know like sometimes he would forget how to like hold a fork or a knife Um, or like, you know, somebody would give him directions on something and he really couldn't follow it. Mm -hmm. So it was almost a little easy for us to keep quiet on for a while. Um, because like I said, that was kind of always my dad. My dad was always kind of a little like (laughs) off sometimes, you know, so, Mm -hmm. um, it was really easy to do that. So I think what the hardest thing was, um, because we kept it, um, on the down low for probably about five years. Um, I wouldn't say that it, once we had to take away his license, which was a really big deal um, for my family and for my dad, because cars was his, honestly, life. He was very into classic cars. Mm -hmm. Um, Once that happened, basically it was out there. Um, And, before that, there wasn't much discussion about it. Uh, there wasn't that much support. Um, and then after that, that's when we started seeing, you know, a little bit more support coming in. Um, and definitely the last year of his life, the support that we got from friends and family was obviously and amazing. You know, they were definitely there to support us during the whole dying process and the whole process leading up to his death. So it was yeah, it's it's tricky though, that's for sure.
0: Well, and again, it's very common for people to hide it, you know. And your mm-hmm. your dad's house, kind of probably like my mom, where he was social. He was used to being around people, just because of the business he was in. And so, those social skills can really carry them a long, a long, long way, because they know, mm-hmm. you know, they know how to fit in. You know, they're kind of little chameleons. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I know that's actually Um, like my mom always said my dad was the best actor he was like the mm -hmm. best actor like he could be in a social situation and somebody could come up to him who he clearly did not remember at all did not know who he was but you know he would just be like hi there like how you do like you know he was able to like act it out really well so that's kind of what we always joked about
0: yeah oh yeah I I can totally totally appreciate appreciate that how about you? How did you deal with it? Did you, did you tell your friends in college about it, or did you keep it quiet too?
1: Yeah, so I am definitely um, a little bit more open and honest uh, with my feelings and emotions and kind of what's going on in my life. So from pretty much immediately when um, my dad was diagnosed, I I, did have, I have a very strong group of girlfriends. Um, that I had lived with in college and continued to live with after college so they were really really supportive of me um, and I really started to verbalize it um, and I realized um, as I was you know getting older in my early 20s it was something that I would just kind of bring up off the bat that you know when I was like getting close to someone whether it was like dating somebody or you know like gaining a new friend you know I would just kind of casually be like yep um so my dad had has Alzheimer's yeah so yeah because it just kind of became a part of you know my life and a little bit of my identity of it um and you know when he first was diagnosed um I could honestly say like I I didn't really understand what was going to happen um and I didn't really get it um I remember I, I like you know it was suggested that I would go to therapy, you know, just to, pr- after the diagnosis, just to talk it out with somebody. And I went to one session and and it, and it went nowhere. I remember just being like, yeah, cool. My dad has Alzheimer's. You know, I went on the college campus, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're uh, on campus, like counseling. Um, and then I could, I honestly say like for me I knew he had it, but I was just kind of always thinking in the back of my mind that nothing was really going to change, Um, Mm -hmm. that it was going to stay stable or, you know, um, he was just going to, I didn't really think he was going to necessarily get better, but I kind of did because I'm also a chemist, I'm a scientist. So I kind of was like really believing in modern medicine and, You know, I always wanted to try new drug therapies out there or um, new programs, you know. Um, So I didn't really, I could honestly say, get like, understand completely how it could change our lives and how he was going to uh, digress um, and progress as, you know, As the years went by, um, but um, when he really did start to, when the symptoms really did become bad, I, like, kind of started to finally understand it, you know? I was like, this is something that is real. This is something that I need to come to terms with. Um, And it was really important for me, especially the last year of his life, to be there as much as possible and, like, be there for my mom as well. So...
0: Sure. And that that makes sense. I, you know, I used to be in uh, residential real estate and I'd help families transition all the time. And so I would see these health things come up and and I would be there to help guide people. But, but I always had this belief that, you know, my parents weren't old because old was 10 years older than them. So it was never, ever going to hit. You know, I just kept pushing, that out, and pushing it out. And then my dad yeah, my exactly. and my mom got dementia. And, you know, there just comes that point where you can't you can't deny it you know, it is, it's inevitable and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, something most likely is going to happen to to most of us, you know, uh, during our life that we're going to have to deal with one way or the other. And so it's just, uh, um, I think it's just very normal human nature, but I'm glad that you were open and telling, telling your friends about it and, um, you know, feeling, feeling supported that way so that they knew mm-hmm. all, all of who you were. Um, did did you, or did your mom, you know, tap into any support groups at all, or, or, you know, were the doctors much guidance?
1: No, we actually didn't really do the traditional support groups. Um, I think, honestly, we had a little bit of each other as our support um, when it came to that. And then, in terms of uh, the doctors, like we do, we did have a a close relationship with our general practitioner, who would kind of talk to my mom and you know talk things through with her. Um, And but it's it's hard to say because I I look back and I'm kind of like, why didn't we really do this? Um, But I think it does come from um, this kind of concept that um, my dad was a very proud man. Like, he was extremely proud, and that was actually very clear up until the very end. Like, that was super clear. So in terms of um, our own family's experience with Alzheimer's, like I said, it was a little bit more um, (laughs) private, Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that was kind of, honestly, a, a bit of the expectations of my dad and, you know, what he wanted. I mean, I don't think he ever really understood what was going on to him, to be perfectly honest. Um, But also just kind of like knowing how he dealt with things and knowing um, his own kind of general life practices and life ideals. um, It was, I think, a little important for us to just, you know, take day by day, um and handle it the best we can and i mean um my mother didn't have any um she didn't get any uh external caregivers um or anything like that up until honestly the very end so she did it all and she did an amazing job with uh taking care of him
0: wow well you know and honestly you know you're looking 10 11 years ago there wasn't all that much out there for families it really truly has just Corrupt in the last five five years, Um, and I can honestly say that because I I got into this business in 2009, and I got in because it's like where is everything? There's got to be more out here, you know. And if not, we need to change that. And so um, I was I mean when we went to the doctor, we weren't even given the Alzheimer's Association number. We didn't even have that. And, yeah um, but but there's so many other things out there um in different ways that you can get educated or find support nowadays through you know if it's memory cafes where people with dementia and their partners come so it's more of a peer group versus a support group, there are you know chat rooms all over the place, tons of books now where there didn't know, be much yeah. of, much of anything so in dementia friendly community initiatives and and things. So, um, you know, looking back when you said, you know, why didn't we? And part of it probably was because there really wasn't that much out there in your face to <laughs> I mean, even know exists. You know? Yeah, so.
1: exactly. I mean, it's it's just that thing too. Like that's why it's so important to me now as I kind of reflect on it. Is that, you know, I I was, I was young. I mean, I guess I'm still young, but like you know, like I was, you know, 19. You know, I didn't have any. Um, else around me that I was experiencing the same thing you know I've obviously I've had friends that you know have had parents that have had other you know like diseases such as cancer but you know with Alzheimer's it's such a different kind of um, experience because you're really starting to lose the mind and personality of your loved one mm-hmm. um, and for me at least you know it that's why I'm really passionate about speaking out now is because I don't think there's a lot of support for young people too with parents with this. You know, you think of Alzheimer's as a disease that, you know, your parent gets when you're in your forties already, you know, you have your own family, which is like a support system on itself. You know, you have your husband, your kids, your wife, whatever. But for me, I was just a college student, you know, like I was like more, I mean, I don't think I was more concerned, but you know, I was concerned with getting like, you know, good grades, like getting my career going, I'm like obviously really passionate about education and being educated, so I was going to grad school, you know, I was getting all those things up and running, Um, and, you know, at the back of my mind was always that concept though, like, you know, my dad has Alzheimer's, like how am I going to deal with this, like what if something happens, like, you know, am I going to move home, am I going to do this, you know, it was kind of always there.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I can I can definitely see that.
1: What were if if you
0: don't mind sharing some of the surprising parts of of the progression of the disease, you know, the challenges as well as some of the positives that that you know you and your your family and maybe some of his friends experienced.
1: Yeah, so I think like I said like not really I mean I had a grandmother with dementia, but that was you know, by age and everything like that. So, like, having to see my dad, you know, get diagnosed till till the very end, it was interesting to me because, for me, that idea of Alzheimer's is always that he forgets stuff. The person, like, Mm -hmm. doesn't remember, uh, you know, stories from the past or, you know. That necessarily wasn't the case with my dad, right? It was, like I said, kind of that functional, you know. He started losing the ability to, um, you know, just comprehend in general, I would say is Mm -hmm. probably the best way to best way to see it. And, you know, just started doing some like weird little things every so often, you know, like I remember one time I like caught him like trying to like eat with his knife, you know, like, like, like super something. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you know, like just those like little, um, different things. And then like, you know, um, you actually in the intro, you mentioned shadowing that was like a big part of my dad's experience with Alzheimer's. My mom always said it, like there's my little shadow behind me, you know he was like attached to her at the hip <laughs> um so I think like one of the the one of the challenges um was really just like kind of the external world kind of dealing mm-hmm. with um having somebody there that, uh, you know, was having these clear kind of comprehension issues. Um, we tried to keep things as much as normal in terms of our social outings. My mom took them everywhere. We took him everywhere. Our, our, our family is, like, really into Disneyland. So we would still go to Disneyland. We would still go to trips. We would still go to restaurants. We would still kind of do everything like that. But to see others try to handle my dad or, like, see us trying to, like, handle the situation when it was, like, he didn't understand something or, like, you know, like, he couldn't read a menu or something like that, and to see others' reactions was always really interesting for me. Um, And I feel like that was a challenge because I do feel like people just sometimes don't understand what's going on, you know? They don't get what's going on. Um, And so they get um, either, like, a little uncomfortable or they get a little angry, you know, or they just have different reactions that, like, you want to pull them aside and be like, um, excuse me, he has Alzheimer's. Like, you know, like, calm down. Yep. Um, so I think that was, like, definitely because it's not like, you know, it's not like it's plastered all over his face. Um, so it's not. it wasn't like he was in a wheelchair. It wasn't like he looked like he had something going on. He was. His body was strong, you know. Um, so I think that was one of the big challenges, um, including with family too, you know, like I said, we come from like a huge Italian loving family. Um, but you know, there was sometimes it was like, no, like he, he can't do that, you know, or like, this is something that's going on. Like, um, there was just different instances like that, but I would say that was probably the biggest challenge, um. And then taking away my dad's license was like a huge challenge in our family because that was his independence. And that, you know, you you hear about the different stages of Alzheimer's and how they can react, and that's when his angry phase really started Um, Mm -hmm. because um, he was upset. He was super angry. He didn't really understand why it had to happen, and then next thing you know, he can't drive. And my mom's driving him everywhere. Um, And that was a very difficult moment in the journey, 100%. Um, Yeah, and and I think it's one that, you know, there's so much, and and
0: even like with COVID, I think is making us appreciate the little things that we overlook, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of what what makes us feel good, what do we appreciate, what are we really grateful for, and until something like that happens, you don't really know. And, I mean, my big joke with myself is, like, I don't like bringing my car in to get an oil change because, you know, I might have to do something in that 15, 20 minutes. You know? Exactly. And so, you know, you think about losing something that we, you've always just kind of taken for granted, you know, it's kind of a pride thing when you first get your license and then we kind of just take it for granted that we have our independence and we can get around and, and things. And, and so much of it too, I think is how we, project how we how we feel society is going to look at us differently and yeah um, and you know we need to do a lot more education there we have to get a lot of a lot better transportation set up too as people age or or have you know situations such as alzheimer's that they're that they're dealing with
1: exactly sure. um but i think like in terms of the positive um like i always say like My relationship with my dad prior to Alzheimer's was very strong already, but Mm -hmm. I think it really grew um, because because of it, because, you know, like my dad was always there, obviously, to take care of me as a kid. You know, he was always that strong influence in my life. But then, you know, once especially, especially like the last year of his life, the last maybe year and a half or so, you know, like I really did have to step up a bit to to be there for him in ways that I, like, didn't really think I was going to ever have to do, you know, showering him, taking him to the bathroom. Um, But we kind of developed, and I think this is, like, I, like, I look back and I'm, like, I don't know how people actually, like, saw this, but, like, I kind of developed, like, a weird little, like, cute relationship with my dad where I'd be, like, that's my dad. Like, you know, like, I kind of almost, like, we kind of just had this, like, very, like, innocent little uh, relationship, and I really enjoyed that because all we were doing is making each other happy, you know? I was making him happy, just being there with him was, was happiness for me. So it was just like our bond only got tighter because we were just, you know, there was no focus on any of the other stuff going on in life. Like when I was with him, it was just focusing on being there. Yeah. I think,
0: you know, to me, um, I always talk about how I found out that there were different levels of unconditional love that I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And and my relationship with my mom to me, was actually a very spiritual one because it was so authentic. Both of us just showed up so authentic, and we accepted each other no matter what was going on. And that, when you think about it, it's so rare in the everyday world where you can just show up and be who you are and not have to pretend or to try to meet somebody else's expectations. And that emotional freedom in and of itself is huge. You know, to be able to do And you, you also mentioned about the innocence, and to me I relate it to children. You know, children don't see deficits. They just see another person to play with. So it doesn't make any difference yep. who they are, what their situation is. And, and I never even really realized that until my daughter was in um, kindergarten. And we went in for her conference, and the teacher goes, oh, your daughter, she's so special. And I'm like, oh, how? You know, that's nice of you to say it. Well, you know, this little person in a wheelchair and she's always right there to assist and this per, this classmate's a little bit slower and she's always right there to help and I just laughed and I said she's that special and she's like oh yes yeah, she is and I said no she she doesn't see what you see she just sees yep. another kid you know and, and <laughs> she, she wants to you know just lift everybody up so that they can get out and play you know let's, let's exactly. go through this <laughs> and it's that real team effort it's that innocence and it's like oh, children have so much to teach us, you know, because we do lose that as adults a lot more yeah. often than, than, than what we should. Um, exactly. And now, I, I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned that your grandma had dementia. Was that your dad's
1: mother or was that your yes, mom? Yes, that was, that was my dad's mother. But it was, um, you know, very late in um, life, you know, like when she was already in her 90s, um, kind, okay. of kind of like the ex- the kind of like the expected, you know, um, I hate to say the word expected, but you know, a different, a different kind of dementia or Alzheimer's that my dad had. Um, honestly, the my dad's Alzheimer's, the kind of idea that like, you know, what we've been told by doctors that it was probably a bit more of um, related to uh, head injury. Mm -hmm. Um, he was kind of a daredevil to be perfectly honest in his younger days and there was always stories of my dad getting knocked in the head or doing something like there's this famous story infamous pretty much story of my dad like that when he was like a kid he like went underneath a house that was being demolished kicked out kicked a few four by fours and then the porch fell on his head and he, oh my and he showed up at my grandmother's house with, like, his head was, like, as big as a watermelon, as she said, you know. And, like, they just kept going. I don't even know if he went to the hospital. <laughs> um, so, like, um, I think, like, you know, when when everything happened, um, you know, it was kind of more related to the head injury um, mm-hmm. kind of from his younger sure. days. Um, sure. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's and, and that's kind of typical back in the day. I mean, you, you know, I look back and think, gosh, we didn't wear seatbelts and we didn't do this. And, you know, pregnant women smoke and drank, And I mean, everything has changed so significantly <laughs> in terms of how we, how we look at it. I have a granddaughter and every time she gets a scratch, a bump or a bruise, she needs a Band-Aid. And it doesn't, you know, it, it, you can't even see it half the time. You know, um, there might not be a mark there at all, but she is the Band-Aid queen. You know, everything's got to be taken care of immediately. <laughs> when, when I was growing <laughs> I up, we, you, you got a Band-Aid if you were bleeding, but a little scratch, not so much, you know, <laughs> or, or a bruise and things. So, yeah, the way we, we look at things is, is very, very different. Um, I wanted to ask you in terms of your, your journey and kind of, you know, you, you talked about really kind of coming to terms with with your dad's diagnosis, and you just seemed like you really fell in sync with him and accepted him for who he was in the moment. Did, was that mm-hmm. something that you, you were always able to do, or was there a defining moment for you that really, you know, set you in that zone?
1: You know, I can't really say there is a defining moment because I think it honestly came also with maturity a little bit. You know, when I was in, you know, as you're, you know, like when you're in your young 20s, you're looking at things differently than when you're in your mid-20s and your late 20s, and I know it will continue to change. Um, but I really think, like, you know, there were times that I was clearly frustrated, um, you know, with what was going on or, you know, certain when he was acting, you know, you know, it, I think it's just natural to get frustrated a bit, yep. but, um, but it was, I don't want to say there the was a defining moment, but I just kind of realized as I got older that like, you know, like this is my dad. I love him so much. You know, obviously I need to be there for him and I need to be there for my mother too, but I also need to be there for myself. So, I'm just going to take one moment at a time with him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I do say, like, the last year of his life was pretty difficult. Like, I, I, to be honest, I didn't really understand how you can die from Alzheimer's before experiencing mm-hmm. it. Um, like, I was like, well, okay, like, you know, people die from Alzheimer's, but uh, how, how does that really happen? Um, and, you know, in the last year of his life, you could just see his body starting to shut down. In different ways Mm -hmm. Um, and you know he the first time he went into the hospital in that year it just kind of like put things a little bit into perspective you know it was like okay this might be this might be near the end like we need to really like be there for him and appreciate like the time left we have with him so Mm -hmm. like I will say like there was one moment in that year that was really difficult for me because my mom did make the decision to put him in um, like a Alzheimer's daycare one one twice a one, once or twice a week, you know, because she was just like he was needing so much help that um, she couldn't get anything done. So she put him in a, a daycare and he hated it, like he absolutely hated it. And I walked in one day. I came in, I, I live in Minnesota now, but, you know, my parents still live in California, my mom does, and I uh, I came in for the weekend, and we went to go pick him up, and she was like, Are you okay, just warning you, he, like, really hates it here, so he might be, like, a little angry, and I was like, you oh, whatever, like, it's my dad, like, uh, I'm used to that, you know, kind of thing. And then I like walked in, and he was livid. Like he was very, very mad when he saw me. Like he recognized me, um, and that was I'll talk I'll talk about that after. But like he got very mad, and like kind of grabbed me, and just was like get me out of here, like very angrily. And you know when that happened, you know, it, it didn't even like really upset me. You know, it did in a way, but I just thought about it as you know what this happened like we got to move forward I can't dwell on it you know this is not my dad clearly you know like this this is a moment that I just, I kind of just realized like you know what like I just really need to start appreciating the time that I have with him and the time I have left with him
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: well and it's uh you know one of the things you had mentioned
0: was the daycare and just you know the name of a of a daycare, adult day. I mean, it's just not very respectful, you know. No. Uh, and and so there's one up in I want to say up in Canada, and they call it a health club. And, oh, you know, I like that. Has, and it's just like, well, that's kind of normal, you know. We're a fitness club. There's lots of different you know avenues that you can do there. Um, but, you know, I think coming up with a different name, but I, but I also think with this COVID thing, we are really going to have some major issues because I know a lot of them are closing down. They just, they're, they don't, one, they don't have the funds and two, they don't know how they're going to be able to adapt because it's such a one-on-one and yet a group, you know, um, a group gathering at, at the same time. So, um, you know they were, they are wonderful, and I and I hope that somehow they are able to maintain that and figure that out because they support so so many families. Mm-hmm. So did your dad,
1: did he end up going on hospice at all, or? Yeah, he did. He did end up going on hospice um, at the very end, but um, he was a trooper. Needless to say, um, his dying process was actually pretty crazy and pretty long with it um he um it took him uh 26 days basically was his dying process he did not eat for 17 days um Mm -hmm. before he passed away and so we kind of had that situation and um you know I was really a little unfamiliar with the hospice system before obviously like you know I'm I was 29 you know didn't really have to deal with that Um, and, um, so the hospice left pretty much. Um, I forget how long, you know, they were there for, um, but he was on hospice, but the nurses left. Um, Mm -hmm. and so we were extremely fortunate that, um, my dad, uh, my mother's sister-in-law, my uh, mom's brother's wife, um, was a former nurse. So she came in, um, and and her basically took care of him t- until he passed away um, you know um, and that was an interesting experience you know like um, it was definitely hard to watch his body mm-hmm. um, degrading so much but like he was he was he was being stubborn and that's where we were kind of joking like he was stubborn till the very last end because um very last moment um, because it was just almost amazing that he was still keeping and hanging on, um, especially, like, not eating for 17 days. Like, what? Like, eating orchard wow. Um Yeah, and I had no IV. Um, yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, but, yeah, so my aunt really helped us a lot and stayed with us, you know, 24-7 um, for those couple weeks and really helped – Me, especially, like, learn how to do, you know, uh, the pills or the medicine or, you know, giving the morphine and kind of just handling all that or, you know, the, the changing of the bag, just all those things that I hadn't really done before. And honestly, by that time, my mother and we have talked about this, like, she wasn't, she was having a hard time watching it, so she kind of stepped out, and then that's when, you know, I really stepped in. Um, along with my aunt, obviously, who really was the the savior of everything and the, the light, so, um, but what I, I kind of mentioned this a little earlier, but, like, when people ask me about, you know, my dad dying from Alzheimer's and, like, how you feel and blah, 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 like, the one thing that I always say is that I am actually extremely grateful because my dad recognized me and my mother, till his Mm -hmm. very last breath. Um, We didn't have to experience um, the hardship that I know thousands and thousands of people experience where, you know, their parents don't recognize them anymore. Their loved ones don't recognize them. That was never the case um, with us. You know, I honestly, like I said, like I kind of came and went a bit because I lived in a different, state and actually prior to living in Minnesota I lived in Europe for a few years so I was I was home a lot actually for somebody that was living abroad but Mm -hmm. um, you know I kind of came and went and my dad never like it was I never had experience coming home or seeing my dad and him being like who are you like that never happened Um, and so and he actually like you know he still And it wasn't just us, but, you know, he recognized his family, you know, definitely his sisters, his brothers. Um, It was very, very, very honestly uplifting and I feel very grateful that I never had to experience looking at my dad and him not really recognizing who I was.
0: That's nice. Now, were you all able to be there when he passed them, if that's not too personal of a
1: question? Yeah, so my mother and I and my aunt, who was staying with us, were there. Um, mm. So that that was, um, yeah. And I had I had experienced that before in my past when my grandmother passed away when I was seventeen, and I was there for that when she took her last breath. Um, and when my dad was there, that was very important. Is that I I really wanted to be there for his last breath as well. Um, and fortunately. Uh, we were able to be there. It's such an honor,
0: you know, to be there. I know it's spooky for a lot of people and I, I've I've had the honor of, of being there for many people who have passed, but when my mom passed, she actually came to me in dreams and said, You can't be here And and I'm like, But yeah. I'm that but I'm that person. What do you mean? You know? And, yeah. And she just said, and my mom was always big on death and dying. When we were little, she would always take us to the funerals and the wakes. And her friends would go, "You shouldn't be bringing your kids." And she said, "You know, they they see us get all excited when people are are born, and they need to experience death too." And she was big on that. So even at the yeah. end, she was she was teaching, and I ended up having two keynotes in Arizona and wasn't there, but I could stay connected through um, video conferencing, so I didn't miss anything. But then my family could actually do some of the physical things that I probably would have done because they were uncomfortable doing and would have stepped yeah. back. And, and so it ended up being um, a pretty um, neat experience, I think, for, for all of us um, yeah. you know, th- through that. But yeah, it's a, it's a that's tough the thing. thing. To do here.
1: Yeah, well, and I think, though, too, I was going to say, like, I kind of had a similar experience with you, like, in terms of, like, death was never, like, something that I was sheltered from as a kid. You know, I come, like I said, I come from a huge Italian family, and honestly, in the Italian culture, uh, death is part of it, you know? Like, you go to uh, the funerals, you go to all those experiences, you know, and then, you have a lot of older relatives or friends or family friends, and you're kind of expected to be there, you know, even as a kid. Um, so when my dad passed away, it was what I say, like, it. it It's not something that, like, I do feel like some people would just kind of be traumatized by it a little bit if they haven't experienced it before. But to me, like you said, it's always such a beautiful experience, and it's almost an honor to be there with the person as they take their last breath.
0: Yeah, yeah. When my dad left, I actually had my hand on his chest and was telling him it was okay to go. And I I can still to this day feel the electricity that went through my body. As he left his, mm-hmm. it was just, and I was I was like telling my brother, touch him, touch him. And my brother's like, what, what? I don't feel nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, yeah. you know, the, the hair on my arms was standing up. I mean, it was just, I could just, it was, un, it was unbelievable. Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Now, you know, since your dad has, has um, passed and it's been a year, you know, how are you, how are you adjusting to all these firsts? especially in that first year, the first birthday, the first holidays, uh, you know, how, how, how have you been doing with all of that?
1: Yeah. So I will say that that is still a journey. Um, so it's been, a, it's been, I guess, a year and a half now. He passed away November 26th of, uh, 2018, right? So 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm like, yeah. how to like think about this? So it was kind of, um, when he passed away, it was also it was very interesting and hard because he kind of started hitting the major holidays all at once there. Because he um, actually, when he first went into that hospital that month, he basically stopped breathing on Halloween. So that was mm-hmm. like one holiday. And then um, it was his birthday um, in that month that he passed away. It was um, so November 18th, and then Thanksgiving hit on that Thursday, and then he passed away on that Monday, and then Christmas, New Year's, like, then everything started kind of, you know, there. Um, And so I will say that those, like, that first Christmas was, like, a blur, like, was, like, totally a blur, and, like, I can honestly say I did not handle, um, like, New Year's New Year as well, that year. Like, I was, I had this weird concept that it was a new year, everything was going to change, like, you know, like, 2019 was bad, that happened in the past, or uh, 2018 was bad, you know, 2019 was New Year, everything. And so I, like, melted down pretty hard, (laughs) especially on New Year's Day, because I realized, you know, like, things were, my feelings hadn't gone away yet I was still grieving um and I you know it was almost immature of me to think that you know just because one day was 31st to the first it was going to like change everything um but uh in terms of everything else after that you know like I said is that we just really had to take it one day at a time and honestly one moment at a time Um, And what really helped me was I did start therapy this past year. And I started therapy to talk about that, but talk about, obviously, a lot of other things. Um, But um, it's like a life coach therapy. And that really helped because there was one moment where um, the woman I work with put me under hypnosis to basically talk to my father. Mm-hmm. And that's something I never thought about doing before. Um, and that was truly a healing experience for me um, because I realized that I could still talk to my dad, you know, like I, like you say, like you talk to your mother in your dreams, you know, like that was something yep. that I hadn't come to terms with yet because I think I was just like almost in a survival mode.
0: Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Almost.
1: Um, and so it was really – You know, once I kind of let loose and realized that, like, I can manifest my dad in my own thoughts, my dreams, my experiences, um, it really started the healing process. And, you know, once um, his anniversary of death came along, you know, it almost was like, it was like, okay, this is another day. Obviously, it's like kind of an important day. But I'm just gonna do my best to talk to him talk to him during that day mm-hmm. and you know, write I wrote him a letter. Um and it and it really helped.
0: Oh yeah, I I can imagine. I can imagine. I think I think it's so important to, you know, feel those emotions and still feel connected. That to me that was one of the gifts of, you know, with my dad with uh, his brain cancer and my mom with dementia. I wouldn't wish either of them on anybody but it it really brought me even closer to them, and we were always very, very tight. Um, but it yeah. was just a whole it was a whole different level of getting to know somebody and to be mm-hmm. trusted by somebody and um to be able to be that that person that can now bring them comfort after all their sacrifices and things they did, mm-hmm. you know raising raising me and stuff. so yeah, there's a there's a lot of good that can come through this process. And, you know, anytime you lose somebody close to you, it's difficult. But when it's a, a, you know, parents is is a very different loss than, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's a a good friend, or, you know, a a relative, you know, it's just, you know, every relationship is a little bit different. And I think sometimes we, we tend to think, well, it's a death and we put it all in this category and then we start judging ourselves thinking others are judging us on how we grieve and how fast we're supposed to process things and mm-hmm. you know everybody everybody processes differently and i think yes. you know it's, a, it's an eye opener when you when you realize that for yourself that this is okay that i'm doing this you know and this is that yeah. i have these feelings
1: you know, and that's really something too, like that. yeah. It's definitely the no judgment zone with grieving. You know, like I know I've talked to my mom about this a lot, and I've talked to other people. Is that at times, like people told me, like, um, you should be crying. Like, you know, like you, why, why aren't you crying? Like, you know, and I'm like, that's not how I'm going to deal with this right now. You know, like, and it's just important that, like, I always say, like you can't really listen to others when they tell you how you should grieve, you know?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Everybody takes the process in a, in a certain period. When my dad died, I, I did this like spinning where I would just relive it and relive it and relive it and relive it. And I couldn't like get, I couldn't get past. And it took me, I bet a year and a half to get out of that loop. And it was just Mm -hmm. such strong emotions that I felt. And, um, and you know people are like, "Well, come on, snap out of it, <laughs> it's not that easy all the time, you know and yeah, and and everybody has different relationships and and they project that you know their relationship is just like your relationship, and it's not, and so you know we have to we have to be a little more forgiving and accepting of those things. well, um, Marissa, this has just been such a fascinating conversation, and I so appreciate your your honesty in terms of of sharing your story with your dad and and your family. Um, If somebody is listening and wants to reach out to you, um, is it okay if they shoot you an email or would you prefer a call?
1: Yes. Email would be great. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy talking to you. And then also just expressing, um, what I am feeling and then also like just kind of learning even a little bit about what I'm feeling right now and how I've interpreted everything that has happened in the last decade. So thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do for the Alzheimer's and dementia community. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, um, if you want to reach out to me, that's a hundred percent. Okay. As you can tell, I'm a pretty open person. Um, And email is the best way to uh, reach me. And I, I, do you have my email already listed yep. somewhere, right? Yep, I have okay. it as M and then
0: Plescia P L E S C I A twenty nine at gmail dot com. So yes, again, thank, thank you again so much because I think by having these conversations, it helps the next person have their conversation and just feel a little exactly. more comfortable opening up with others. So again. Um, to our listeners, I would, um, just ask that you like, click and share, uh, this program. I I think it was so informative and Marissa just did such a nice job being her authentic self and sharing her story. And I, I think more of that needs to be done, uh, not just on the radio here. Um, but you know, when we're having a cup of coffee or talking with somebody, uh, you know, if, if we know them or not, um. Sharing stories is powerful and it gets you in that authentic space that allows someone else to be their authentic self. And so never, ever underestimate um, the power you have to make a difference in, in somebody else's life. And um, in wrapping up, again, I just want to thank you all. Um, uh, Marissa, thank you again so much for taking time. Know that you can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com. That's our main website. From there, you can get to the radio show. You can get to our blog. Uh, There's information on Dementia Chats, where I facilitate uh, conversation monthly with with people who are living with dementia. And they have wonderful, wonderful insights and um, tips for us in terms of how to deal with dementia in different situations. And we also have the, the uh, dementia quick tips, which are things I always wish somebody would have told me when I stepped into the puddle of dementia with my, with my own family. So, again, thank you all so much. Have a blessed week and enjoy the holiday weekend. Bye now.